The following is our extended conversation with Crystal Frommert on vulnerability. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Crystal Frommert has over 20 years experience as an educator in secondary schools. She's taught math, computer science, and social justice. She has also served as an instructional coach, school board member, adjunct college instructor, technology coordinator, and assistant head of a middle school. We have a great guest today, Crystal Frommert. Crystal, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Crystal Frommert. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me on the show. First and foremost, <laughs> I'm a mom. And then secondly, I'm a math teacher. And then thirdly, I'm a huge fan of Ted Lasso. But I'm a math teacher. I work at an international school in Houston. And I love where I work because I have kids from so many different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds. And uh, I teach uh, middle school there and have really great kids. And I am so excited to talk about how Tad Lasso's lessons can be incorporated into what I do in the classroom every day. Besides all that stuff, you're an author, so you you write regularly for Edutopia. Yes, uh, I, write, I write for Edutopia. I write for Independent School Management as well. And I do have a book coming out. I don't have a title just yet, but I'm working with a publisher uh, called Road to Awesome. And I'm very excited about this because we are in the editing phase right now. The book is completed. The topic of the book is helping educators connect to parents, connect with parents. That was one of my first Edutopia articles because I find that there is a reluctance with teachers to reach out to parents because sometimes the relationship has been a little bit rocky with some, but there are ways that you can foster that partnership and it is crucial to the success of our kids. And um, I just offer, it's a short book at offering tips and strategies for developing that partnership. Oh, that's terrific because I'm a teacher educator and we know that's important. It's a part of the the standards we're supposed to be teaching to, but there's so little opportunity for that. Even though, you know, we try to have our future teachers in classrooms as much as possible, but, you know, during their internships, they get a little opportunity sometimes, but uh, definitely I think that's one of the things that as a new teacher, you know, where, what do they even draw from? Right. And I do have a chapter about that, about... Uh, pre-service teachers and what kind of experience do they they get with because usually if you're a student teacher your supervising teacher is going to be the one who's handling the tough stuff with parents Um, and so I have a chapter on that as well that I think pre-service teachers would really and and educators like yourself would would really like to read yeah because I I mean that's live that's not the time for practice kids' parents. So our theme for this episode is vulnerability. And you had some thoughts about that. Like, how does that show up as on the teacher side or on the learner side? I'm a follower of Dr. Brene Brown. She's a fellow Houstonian like I am. And I have read her books and I've seen her talk. um, And I love everything she's been saying for the past decade or so about her studies on shame and vulnerability and how vulnerability is actually a strength and I bring that into my classroom. I, I show, and, and with my colleagues as well, you know, I show them that I am human. I make mistakes. I, I certainly make mistakes. I'm, I'm, I tell my kids, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at math. You know, I've been doing it a long time. I'm good at it. But there will not be a day that I do not make some sort of mistake with it. Um, and I'm okay with that. 
And I think that by starting off my school year with that message with my kids, they see that, okay, yeah, like I can be good at math too. And at the same time, make mistakes with math. And, and that's why I asked them to show me all of their, their work. I, you know, I know that there's some students who, you know, dig their heels in and say, why do I have to show my work? I can do all of this in my head. And I rationalize with the kids. I want you to show me all of your thinking, because if you made a mistake somewhere in there, you know, you misadded or you forgot a negative sign, something like that. I want to see what you do know. And I want to follow that error through and give you all the credit that you can earn for that particular problem. Because if you did it all in your head, which I'm sure you can, but you might make a mistake, but I can't see it. You can't turn your brain in, you know, and they, they giggle at that. And so I think it's important to be transparent with the kids about why are we asking you to show your steps? Why do we ask you to communicate your thinking? Um, and I, I recently ha- had an article come out with Edutopia on taking snapshots and photos of students' work, their handwritten work. And I've been doing it for a long time and, and just now realized, hey, maybe I should write something about it. But before I can put a student's image of his work or her work up on the, you know, the smart board, Promethean board, whatever it is, I have to establish a culture in my classroom that we celebrate mistakes, that we honor each other. We don't laugh at each other. We don't ridicule each other. And that, that starts with me. That starts with me showing them my mistakes. And I'm very, if you, if you read the article, I'm very careful about which mistakes are actually shown on the board. Nothing that would ever embarrass a student, uh, but something where they had a slight misconception and that slight misconception will help the class learn. And I, sure. I bring that in there and I say, I love that you made this mistake. I love that you thought that because now we're going to learn this way. Um, And that's why I decided to write the article. You mentioned that your students this year in particular are high achieving students. Yes. Um, Do you think that that kind of vulnerability is more difficult for them? I do. I've been teaching a group of kiddos uh, in seventh grade for some years now that they come to me as seventh graders taking algebra one, which here in Texas, that is about two years ahead of a standard Texas curriculum. You know, there are many arguments in in the math education world of can a student be ready for algebra? Can they be ready for the abstract thought at that age? I do believe yes, um, but it's, it's pretty rare, I think. I think it's rare for a student that young to be ready for that, but I do wanna meet the needs of those particular learners. Um, So I have these kiddos in my class. They come to me, frankly, terrified to ever make a mistake. They expect 100s. They tell me their parents expect 100s, which sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they project that onto their families. But um, these kids have always been top of their class. They're the fastest. They're the brightest. They never make mistakes. And if they do, sometimes they literally will break down and cry. And that breaks my heart because before they're mathematicians, they are 10 year olds, 11 year olds, they're little kids. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, with these, with these kids, I start off my school year uh, very intent, you know, intentionally showing them that I make mistakes and I want them to make mistakes. And they look at me like, what you want me to make mistakes? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Because if you're making mistake, that means I pushed you 
a little bit beyond what you are ready for. And that's my job. My job is to push you. And I said, can you imagine if I gave you tests and you knew everything on it? If you gave you a quiz and a homework with, you knew everything. Why would I give you that if you already know it all? And that changes their thought process of like, oh yeah, I'm not here to show you. I know everything. I'm actually here to, to learn. <laughs> so um, I have a unique situation. It's, it's, it's a blessing that I have these wonderful kids that, that love to learn and they love math. And, um, but I also have to recognize their little kids who need to embrace mistakes and not expect themselves to be perfect. So it's a, it's a great combination of a class that we have. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of that fixed mindset, growth mindset, uh, research that shows it's, it's not just people who have kind of negative math, um, perception of themselves who have fixed mindset. A lot of times it's, those kids who have been so successful that kind of get into that fixed mindset. And, and like you said, it's scary to possibly show that you're, you, you don't have the answer to this one. I love that you said that because you're right. It's not just our students who struggle with math, who, who tell themselves that I'm not good at this. And um, I've started doing something new this year. Every year I try to do something a little bit different and innovate a little bit. This year I've decided to, give them a choice of their weekly assignment. They have a weekly assignment that is algebraic concepts of processes of distributive property, adding negative numbers, things like this, right? But they have a choice each week. Do you wanna do the weekly practice, which is straight up practicing processes, or would you like to try the problem of the week? And so every single week that my, my whole goal with this is to show them a growth mindset that, you know what, maybe this week I'm not ready for the problem of the week. That one looks a little bit out of range for me. So I'm going to pass on that one this week, but you know what, next week I'm going to tackle it. And I want them to make that decision for themselves each week and be all right with it, whatever their decision is. And both decisions kind of require that vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Being willing to say that you're not ready for it as well as tackling something that you don't know how to do. Right. Like give it a try. You know, there's no penalty. Give it a try. If this is not your cup of tea this week, that's all right, too. We're in our last week of the semester uh, working with my future secondary teachers. Uh, our textbook is uh, Necessary Conditions from Jeff Crawl, which is this terrific book that really centers academic safety. But during the discussion, it came up, uh, well, what would you do if you're working with a kid and you make a mistake? It was amazing, kind of like the rush of fear that went through the classroom, you know, and to the point where the uh, one of the candidates was leading the discussion. He was like, well, God help me if I ever do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I, I had to interject. I said, you know, you've been in a classroom with me all semester. How can you how? <laughs> How, how can you think that, you know, I've been teaching forever and, and I don't feel like I can open my mouth without making a mistake. It is scary at first when you're, when you're a new teacher, I've been in that situation too, where you just like, oh no, they're going to think I'm an idiot. I don't know how to do this problem. But over time with experience, you learn like, okay, they don't really notice you that much anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think teachers can do to kind of cultivate that vulnerability in themselves? It takes a lot of practice. And I think it starts with themselves, like like the, the nature of your question is asking. It, it certainly starts not with the kids, but with the teacher, him or herself, that know that it's not the end of the world. I love the question of, you know, will this matter five minutes from now? Will it matter 10 years from now? Will it matter 100 years from now? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so if I miss add in a math problem, it certainly will not matter even five minutes from now. Like it's not that big a deal. 
Um, and if, but if I make it a big deal, it will be. If I say, oh gosh, guys, I, you know, I'm learning how to add four plus two and they chuckle and I chuckle at myself. Uh, but that certainly takes practice. It's not going to come overnight. And also be forgiving of yourself when you're not forgiving yourself, right? So if you <laughs> are hard on yourself that day, you're you're learning. You're learning just like your kids are. Give yourself compassion that, man, I was pretty rough on myself today, but tomorrow I'll try again. And um, it, it, it's a practice to have self-compassion and to show that strength through vulnerability. And, um, and I also think it comes from from your, your track record. If you know the kids for two days and you've made 15 mistakes, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's not going to look good because you don't know them. They don't know you. Mm -hmm. You came out of the shoot, you know, <laughs> like, I don't even know you and I made all these mistakes. So there is, there is a track record you have to build up with the kids. It's that, yeah, you make mistakes. I make one probably every single day with the kids, but they've seen, yeah, I do know what I'm talking about. I do know the math. Also, if I don't know something, like I remember there was a kid, brilliant, brilliant kid. It was asking me something about rational functions. And I, I didn't know. I just was said, well, you know what? Is it all right if I get back to you tomorrow about that? Because I'm not really sure the best way to answer you. And she said, yeah, that would be great. Thank you. And so what, what I did was I honored that and I looked it up and showed her where I found the answer. But the fact that she had known me for so long, she knew I knew a little bit about rational expressions because I teach it in my class, that it was okay that I said, that part, I'm not sure about, let me research it. Um, so I think that's how a, a new teacher could get used to the vulnerability part, but it is scary and just know that it's going to be scary for a little while. And I always think those moments are so confirming for the learner. Your student came up with a question that 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 even you didn't know. That's a real moment of empowerment. And it shows her that if I ever asked her a question that she didn't know the answer to, she has the same right that I had of saying, you know what? I'm not really sure. Can you come back to me? Mm -hmm. All my kids have that right in my class to, because I model that, that if they're like, you know what, can you give me just a minute on this one? Absolutely. I'll come back to you. Um, I don't push it. I just, if they, if they're open with me, I'm open with them. It's, it's both sides and kind of building a culture. Right. You mentioned kind of briefly, I don't know if you want to say anything more about it, about kind of a strength and vulnerability, kind of what does that mean to you or, or how can being vulnerable actually mean being strong? Because it's terrifying to be vulnerable. When my daughter was very young, I used to read these storybooks to her called Franklin. And he was about a turtle. And I don't know yeah, if you I remember Franklin. Franklin books. I love Franklin stories. I think it was PBS perhaps, but Franklin was scared of something and he defined, he said, it's being scared of something and doing it anyway is what being brave is. And I remember reading that story to her and I use that with her, you know, growing up and I use it with my kids and I use it with myself that if something is scary, but I proceed anyway, then I'm brave. And um, that's how vulnerability can can transform into strength. And gosh, that was scary, but I did it anyway. Um, you know, thinking about taking a college class that frightens you. That's okay that it frightens you, but you were brave because you signed up for it and you gave it a try. Uh, with my kids, with that problem of the week I was talking about where, you know, gosh, that was a pretty tough problem of the week, but you tried it and you were scared of it. And that makes you brave. I also think back to, I, I used to be an instructional coach way back 
uh, in the day. And I would work with teachers and help them with their instructional practices. The person who trained me to be an instructional coach, he said, you don't want to show any vulnerability when you're an instructional coach. And I was like, whoa, that's not what Brene would say. You know, (laughs) that's really shocking. I know. I was very shocked by this. And I, you know, I was the trainee and he was the trainer and I I pushed back a little and I said, you know, I'm going to respectfully disagree with that because I have to show that the teacher that I'm working with, that I do have a vulnerability as an instructional coach, just like they have a vulnerability of doing something new and innovative in their classroom as a teacher. And he was very respectful with, with my pushback, but he had come, come to the training as you got to come in there as the expert. You got to come in there strong. You got to come in there confident. Well, sure, but no one's perfect. And just know that there's room for vulnerability because if we're rigid, we'll just snap. Right. And so you got to have some flexibility there. Well, and especially you're, I mean, you're asking the teacher to consider making changes. And if you're not somebody who's ever had to make a change, you know, what, you know, what basis do you have for even asking somebody else uh, to change? Right. Well, I'm glad you pushed back. <laughs> so, I was scared of you, but I did it. So I was brave. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Now, uh, you just mentioned when we were chatting a little bit before, but there might be a gender component to this as well. I know that Dr. Brown has done some research on that as well, and I don't have anything specific to cite, uh, but she has mentioned, and I know there's other research that, that others have done that support that men, some are, or maybe many, <laughs> grow up uh, with the whole idea of man up, dry your eyes, you're okay, don't show weakness, the the bravado uh, attitude. And I think that's damaging to boys and men in our society. It's damaging in general to our society that men have to show vulnerability. If they are going to grow up to be fathers, they're going to be, uh, you know, members of a family, they're going to be working in corporate, they're going to be working in, in organizations. There is vulnerability that's, that works with all of those roles in your life. I think that we're headed toward, well, we're not headed toward, we're already there. Many men suffering in silence from mental illness because they don't have the voice or they don't know they're allowed to have the voice to say, this is hard, or I'm not good at this, or I need help. And I'm not a man myself, so I can't speak to that personally, but I think there's a lot of research out there that supports that, that we have to show boys and teen, teenage boys, it's all right to say, I don't know, or I need help. Well, and as a teacher of boys, um, I'm sure that that's on your mind. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't addressed? You know, it's just, it's really important to me. And if there is any way that I could share a message to the teachers who are just graduating from university or or just coming into the classroom within their first five years. I, I want to go back in time to my early teaching self. I, I call her the baby teacher. I, I tell the kids back when I was a baby teacher is what I tell the kids mm-hmm. and show them the mistakes I made. But I want to go back to myself and to the young teachers when uh, and say, you know what? It's it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine that you make mistakes. There's going to be hard days. You'll get through them. And I, I love that what you're doing with your classes, that you're talking about that, about what do you do if you make a mistake in front of the kids? You correct it and you say, yep, I made a mistake. I'm sorry about that. Move on. 
but I don't know if, if our teachers who are just starting out know that, and I, I want to spread that message out. Yeah. I think back to, to my 21 year old, you know, green teacher years. And I'm like, Whoa, I'm, I really messed a lot of stuff up, <laughs> you know, but yeah. oh, well, <laughs> yeah, but that that's, that's literally the only way to learn is you right. you gave it a go and, and you reflected on it and things changed. You're not that same teacher. Right. And if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be who I am today. Yeah. Well, it's, it's counter countercultural in a lot of ways, but even more needed, I think, because of that. I, I do want to ask you one more thing, kind of going back to your fandom on the show. You mentioned that you are real fans to the point where you have something in your garage. Yes. Yes, we have a Believe poster uh, with the blue tape and everything that is above our garage door. I don't jump up and hit it or anything like that, but <laughs> it's it's there uh, because we just love that message. We love the message that Ted Lasso has of, of being curious, not judgmental. I, I think that Rebecca has, she is a, such a dynamic character of the show. So is uh, Roy Kent. I mean, he shows a lot of vulnerability with his work with his niece. I wish that the language wasn't as harsh because I would like for younger kids to watch it. Uh, but I, I think the messages are just so beautiful. Um, and so we we have that poster in our garage and it just helps us remember those those lessons. Well, that's terrific. On the show, Ted is just amazing at coming up with uh, these questions out of the blue that kind of give him an opportunity to connect with people. So this one isn't directly from the show, but I think in a similar spirit. So do you have an educational book you you wish more teachers would read i do it's uh it's called building thinking classrooms uh by dr peter Liljadal out of british columbia this book really does highlight my own vulnerability i was scared to do the things that are in the book to general to generalize the the message of the book is and i hope i'm not oversimplifying it but you're getting the kids out of their seats you're getting them at the whiteboards or some kind of vertical non-permanent space and they're working and problem solving in groups and uh, talking about math and, and you're shifting the focus away from the teacher doing the thinking and the talking to the kids doing the thinking and the talking. I love the whole end goal, but I was a little bit afraid to do the steps that he was suggesting in the book. Luckily, he does break it down in the book that, you know, just try these three at first and then try these three and then try these three. So I've been doing that this school year. And yeah, I stumble. Yeah, I make mistakes. I tell the kids, you know, I'm trying this out. I'm reading this book. They are loving it. They love working at the whiteboards. We do this almost every day. Of course, it's not ideal for every day, but we do it almost every day. The kids love being in groups. They they have conversations that are so deep that I wouldn't know that they were having if they weren't all standing in the perimeter of the room mm. and walking around listening. I am able to differentiate my instruction and my support with kids. If they're all sitting in desk in rows and they're staring at me and I'm going over slope, right? Which is how I used to teach. Maybe five of those kids need me to go over slope again, but maybe the other 15 don't. So mm -hmm. I'm wasting their time. So when I'm walking up to them while they're working on problems at the board, I can tell who needs help with slope and I work with them or I move over here. And I know that this kid is, you know, having some trouble with an asymptote. Okay, great. Let's talk to you about that. You're ready for that. So there's so much richness in this book about 
how to get kids thinking. And that's why it's called Building Thinking Classrooms. So that is my favorite book right now. And then when my book comes out, I would say that's going to be my book. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will definitely be looking for that. Well, thank you so much for being our guest on the podcast and uh, really appreciate your time and your work in the uh, for the profession as you write and kind of share uh, your process and your journey. Um, well, I really appreciate it. Thank you for re- reaching back out to me too and, and taking a chance on somebody you're like, I don't even know you on Twitter, but I, I think it's been a good connection. I, I'm, I'm kind of sad that people are considering leaving Twitter because mm-hmm. it's really just been amazing for me to be able to meet people like you, you know, people that I would never come across otherwise. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, let's, hope it, let's hope it survives. Well, thank you, John. This has been really fun. I appreciate it. Oh, excellent. Thank you.